Hello, fans of podcasted statistics lectures for psychology students. This is Dave Broadback uh, from Algoma University. Uh, the lecture you're about to hear is from Psychology 3256, Advanced Univariate Statistics. This is take two of this intro, by the way, because I got the name wrong the last time. I got the name wrong of a course I've taught 23 times and made up the name. Uh, anyway, uh, there's also YouTube videos that go with this. So search for my name if you want to see uh, slides synced with my voice. Uh, beyond that, I hope you get something out of this. And if you don't, well, that's on you, isn't it? Well, it's my way. From last uh, from last year. Anyway, so this is roughly where we were. I think we we're a little bit ahead of here, but I want to come back. Um, so the negatives were a problem, remember? So we squared the deviations to get. You know about this, of course. By the way, I keep saying you know about this, of course, which then I think makes people not want to put their hand up because they think you said I'm supposed to know this. Feel free to interrupt me and say, but I don't know that. So we're going to square these deviations from the mean. Square deviations from the mean, we end up with we end up with positive. So that's what happens here, and this is, and I see we're getting closer here because we're not actually there yet. This is a squared quantity, right? And we want to get down to a. One that's a quantity that's in the same units as the original numbers, not square So, if we take the square root, we're going-ish. So we're kind of in the right place at this point. We take the square root, which is 10.6 squared, 112 is 10.6. And I remember it was 9 point something for the mean absolute deviation, so that's, that's a good reason. It's not bad. I mentioned that the formula I've shown you so far has n on the bottom. n is the number of observations. Uh, in, in, when people, hardcore statisticians call them experimental units, the number of experimental units. Uh, we used to call them subjects until the APA told us we could call them participants. Number of numbers. The numbers were not recovered. Um, so it's got N on the bottom, and it actually makes sense for it to have N on the right? Intuitively it makes sense, and a lot of times, I'm going to, I think, I'm going to try to make the point that a lot of times this stuff actually is intuitive. It's not meant, it doesn't have to be really uh, difficult to get into. It's pretty intuitive, but this isn't actually intuitive. It's supposed to be n minus 1. So on the bottom of the formula, right, we're not going to have n. We're going to have n minus 1. And that's really, really, really old. And this was one of those times I mentioned last time how I used to always put my hand up in my intro stats class when I was an undergrad. So if you get a y, so a two-year-old, and the prof eventually said, because I said so. Because it got to a point where, you know, I was slowing the class down. Um, so we want something that's an unbiased estimator of the same quantity in the population. Right? We want a, 
This is just an estimate of a quantity in a population. It's not the actual quantity of the population. In fact, if we already knew the value in the population, we wouldn't have to collect the data. Right? So why would you be doing this? So it's very rare when you're actually dealing with what's called a population parameter. You're usually dealing with a sample statistic. So the population parameters, variance, and the standard deviation have big N. And in this case, big N means the total number of observations in a population. So we could, if our population was everyone in this room, we have what? One, two, three, four, five, six, seven, eight, nine, five, 15, 17, 18. We have 18 people in this room. If we were measuring to go to the assignment, we had our heights, and we had all 18 of our heights, we would in fact use big N on the bottom. Because we actually know the population, but we can calculate the population parameter. That never, ever, ever happens. It, it's only there basically for illustrative purposes. It, it, it's got no other value. The sample statistics used to estimate those population parameters are n minus 1. If they had n, they would actually underestimate the population parameters. The cool thing is we know by how much, and we don't have to know why we know by how much, but we know by how much through, through the magic of calculus, and we know that it's, if we put n minus 1 instead of n, we then get an unbiased estimator of the population parameter, okay? which is what we want. Okay. Any questions for me so far? <coughs> okay, good. So we want an unbiased estimator. So we end up with these sample statistic formulas. S squared, that's the variance, and S is the standard deviation. And yes, I am aware that there should be a subscript and a superscript on the summation side. I don't care. I didn't put them there. So in our case, the example we have, we end up in fact with standard deviation being 11.85, assuming I didn't do this particular thing. So, yeah, please. Then why is that S squared? That's the, is that, that's the variance. That's the variance. S, S squared is the variance, S is standard deviation. Yep. Now, in the, in the population, I might actually have this on my next slide, so let's, yeah, I'll show you that in a second. <laughs> Yeah, the squared quantity is the variance, the quantity that's in the same units as the original data. That is the segregation. It's funny, too, because we would tend to think that we would care more about the standard deviation the variance because standard deviation is in the same units. But actually, you'll find that we care way more about variance than standard deviation. Um, because it, there's, there's, 
these calculations easier. Right now, that's all I'll say. You'll see as we go along, the reason we can't put variance for that's navigation. But you can turn one into the other trivially. Right? It's not like some kind of magic thing. So for the population, the population parameters, which we don't know. Now, in the example of the 18 of our heights, we can know that. However, if we're trying to generalize to the number of words people recall on a list after a five-minute retention interval, we can't know that. We can't know that. That's not a thing that we have available to us. If we knew that, people would be lining up on whatever holy day of your religion is and worshiping you. You can't know it. Right? It's, it's, it's unknowable, yet, as a thing we can measure. However, we can estimate it with precision, which is very cool. So these are the population parameters. This is variance and standard deviation. Sigma squared, I know this is confusing because this is a capital sigma in Greek, and on the left here is a small sigma. As annoying as that is. And it actually is, does have big N on the bottom. And mu is the standard is, is the is the mean. So let's look at this idea of n minus one versus n. Everybody gets that, right? There are two different quantities. One of them is, is pretty much unknowable except under very specific circumstances. But we can estimate with some precision. In fact, if we follow rules properly, we can actually say what the chances are we get a mistake. There's not a lot of times in your life where you can say, I know how likely it is I made a mistake. It's, that's not something you can normally do. The beautiful thing about differential statistics is I can say, I know how likely it is I'm wrong. That's pretty powerful, right? Okay. So I'm just going to turn the lights up a touch here because I have a random. Actually, can you see the board if I'm in this lighting? Because I mean, I don't know with my eyes. I literally have no idea. Should I turn the lights up a bit? Or something? Are we okay? You're okay. Okay. I'm dead serious because I, I see so poorly that I, I can't. I can't. That's for me. Unknowable. Okay. So what do we need to know not to calculate this? We need to know all kinds of things that we literally can't know. What do we need to know to calculate these, this quantity? S squared or S? Mm -hmm. I know the mean. Yep. Kind of got an but does the N put a restriction? Well, it says how many numbers there are. So we have no end, right? Does it say anything else about what the numbers are, what the x's are, what the individual x's? No, right? Does it say anything about what those individual x's are? It just says there are x's, there are n of them, and they have a mean of this. Give me an n. So reasonable 
Okay, five. Let's use five. Give me a mean. Whole numbers. It'll make me do this in my head. Give me a mean of five numbers. Three. Nice. Thank you. So if we have the mean equals three and n equals five, that means that, well, what's, remember that a mean is the sum, sorry, is the sum of the x's over n. We know n is five. We know x bar is three. So that means the sum of the x's has to be what? What's that to be? How much? 15. Yes. Okay. So they have to add up to 15. The, the, the way that the formula is constructed is actually put a constraint on what we're doing. So we can make up numbers that satisfy this. Just say some numbers. There aren't wrong answers here. Say some numbers. Seven. Thank you. Jeez, it's not that hard, guys. You know some numbers, don't you? Seven. Give me another one. Two. Two. Excellent. Give me another one. Three. Three is a good one. Four. Four. Well, it's got to add up to 15, though. Seven, two is nine, and three is 12. And six is, both well, six, and that's 18. Well, it's got to be minus three. We can do anything we want with those first four numbers. I just wanted whole numbers to make the rhythm take a little in my head. Is that minus one? Is it minus one? Did I even lift it too wrong? Yeah. Thank I you. said the four was a six. Oh, I guess the four was a six. Yeah, you're right. Minus one. Thank you. We can do it again. But I think I've made my point that we, the first four numbers are free. They're a free choice. That formula doesn't say where the numbers come from. It doesn't tell us anything about where the numbers come from. It tells it, but it does put a simple restriction on the numbers. And the restriction it puts on the numbers is they must sum to a certain value so we get that mean. Right? So it puts that restriction on those numbers. The first four numbers are completely free to vary. They are completely any four numbers. Final is fixed. Because we have fixed a value, we have lost what's called a degree of freedom. Degrees of freedom are the, are the, are the, it's the freedom numbers have to vary. <coughs> the numbers that satisfy our conditions here don't know where they came from and don't know what they are. But there is a restriction. They must the five of them, in this case, must sum to 15. Or in general, the n of them must sum to x times n. Sum the sum of the x's times n. They can't not. They must. Because this is in the formula. x bar is actually in the formula. And if x bar is in the formula, it's saying that's the mean. Sorry. We have fixed the value, and by fixing the value, we have lost a degree of freedom. Does that make sense? 
I don't know why I said that like which. Does that make sense? Respond. Okay. And the cool thing about degrees of freedom, when you go back into the calculus, is that when you take a look at the degrees of freedom for a data set, it actually affects how the statistic estimates a parameter. And to get an unbiased estimate of standard deviation of variance, we have to divide by the, the number of degrees of freedom. So degrees of freedom are simply the freedom numbers have to vary, or the number of values that can be assigned arbitrarily. Some people don't like the idea that numbers have freedom to vary, because it sounds odd to them. It's very mathy. So some people like saying the number of values that can be assigned arbitrarily. That sounds more like we're in control, not that numbers are doing things. Right? When they say that the freedom numbers have to vary, that's more of a, like I said, it's a little more mathy. We have to worry about it. How many people here have taken university level math? You all took math like to the end of high school, right? Did you? Oh. Who didn't take math until the end of high school? Wow. Guidance council made a mistake. You should have. That's going okay. You'll be fine. Your guidance council will be fine. Unless it was your mom. Sorry, then. She didn't sit there, but your mom. I once made a crack at the finance council, and someone said, no, mom's a finance council. Okay. <laughs> and I once said something in a class about how no one goes to Arby's because it's garbage, and someone said, my dad goes to Arby's on Great River Road, and said, shit. <laughs> Small town, I can't say anything. But Arby's is horrible. Um, some people love it. My brother loves it. And we agree on almost everything except Arby's. That's about it. It's Actually, that's pretty much it. But we can learn from you all because it's just our piece that we don't learn from you. Alright. So the, the, the explanation of degrees of freedom makes some sense. You might have seen that. I think this. How many of you here took stats from Dwayne Keogh? Poor bastards. Uh, does he. He explains it that way too? Did you see that? Yeah. Yeah, pretty much, right? He's using my old notes, um, which isn't, that's not a problem. I gave them to him. A little, little secret, when people start out and they take courses, the first thing that we all do is, well, here, I thought this course really want, want this, because we've all brought prep courses before, it's a nightmare, so that's not something bad at all. But the idea here is the calculus, the math that's all behind this says to estimate a parameter, to estimate a parameter, you divide by the number of degrees of freedom, for, to this, for these parameters. And typically, param uh, the, the way this is going to work with degrees of freedom is always going to be the case that it's, it's going to be some quantity, the fixed quantity, whatever it is, all the numbers, subtracting the number of things that we fixed in advance. So the, the number of numbers, number of observations, and we're going to subtract the things we fixed, the, the number of restrictions we put on. And we have one restriction here that matters, and that's the mean. Okay? We've estimated one thing. We've calculated those sort of We haven't calculated in because n is a property of the set of numbers, of the batch of numbers. 
It's not something we calculate. So it's all the things we've calculated. Please. Um, I know, I remember with stats, we did like n minus 2 at some point. That's happened, yeah. But what's that for again? That would be when you have you've, to do a calculation yeah. and fix two things. Okay. Uh, and there's going to be times when we're going to have a lot more things that we fix. You want as many degrees of freedom as possible, as a rule. And just think of it this way. It's kind of like saying, I want as many degrees of freedom as I can have, because then it applies to as many numbers as possible. It's kind of like that. That's an intuitive way to think about it. I think it's useful. OK. Back to what we're doing. By the way, the idea of unbiased estimators is, is, is what makes one of the very few jokes that there ever is in statistics. And you'll hear this and you'll think, that's not funny. I think the statistics is in flood. This was told me in graduate school. Like, that's what I think. These two unbiased estimators run into each other at a bar. It's, it's already a standard disability. And one of them says, What's it, what do you think about being married? He said, it's not bad as long as you don't mind losing a degree of freedom. See, it's not funny. It's just not funny. Statistics is something for people who find accountancy just a little too edgy. For most people. All right. How are the variance and standard deviation affected by extreme scores? So here's our two batches of numbers. 1, 5, 9, 20, 30, and that's got, as we've calculated before, a standard deviation of 11.5. Okay, let's start a new number, 729. Just, well. Now the new mean is 132, and our new variance is 85,555. So that means our standard deviation is at 292.5. Extreme scores. Extreme. Extreme scores affect the variance of standard deviation. And because they affect the mean, when you think about it, the mean, the mean is in the, the calculation. So if the mean is the calculation, it's going to affect the variance of standard deviation. And the fewer the numbers, the bigger effect adding another number with a wildly different number is, is going to have because you're dividing by n minus 1. As I said here, the means affect by extreme scores. So of course, so is the standard deviation and the variance. Of course it is. Okay. And this is one of the cases where sometimes, usually you wouldn't want to use the median as a measure of a central tendency. It's, remember I talked about the mean absolute deviation is kind of dead end, so is the median. But for descriptive statistics sake, sometimes it makes a lot of sense to use the median. In this case here, I would like to, I would much rather use the median to describe the central tendency of these data than the mean. We have a number here that's extreme and it's going to pull out that calculation line, but it doesn't do much to the median. This is what you see, for example, when uh, there are contract negotiations between, oh, let's say, faculty associations and universities. There are people who make pretty good money doing this job. They've been doing it for 25 years, maybe 30 years. 
the ceiling. And they're making 100, well over 100 a year, which they deserve to have done something bad. And then there are people starting out that aren't making that much money. But if you have a few people that really, especially in a place this size, where we have what, 50 full-time faculty members, a few people at the real top end can really pull the knee out. We got all these younger people making a lot less than that. So you'll hear the union use the median salary, and you'll hear the administration use the median salary. This was done when I was at Morning University of Newfoundland, and we went on a strike once, and the administration said that the average salary was $99,000, this was, this was 20 years ago, $99,000 a year. And I was like, dude, I'm not making anything close to that. I made like half that. But that's because there were people in the, in the engineering faculty who were making a lot of money, which is fine, they deserve it, that's fine. But it's like, oh, they're pulling up the average. Right? Because the median salary was about 60, 52 or something like that, but the mean was 90 something. So there are rare occasions where the median makes more sense. This is one of these cases, for example, when you talk about what the, you see this a lot with when uh, incomes are, are, are uh, presented. When the, the uh, stats can doesn't ever talk about the mean household income in the country. Because there are people making a lot of money. There's some. They talk about the median, it makes more sense. This is not affected by experience scores, either too low or too high. You rarely see the median used in science, but in a lot of social science kind of, that's not, I hate that distinction. But I'm going to have to use it. Uh, in, in hard versus social science. I hate the distinction. It's so dumb. All right. So if we know that the mean affects the standard deviation, is this something we can actually use to sort of our advantage? So Katz said L 1990, they had people study before a test or not study before a test. And the mean of people who studied was 69.6, and the mean of people who didn't study was 46.6. Those numbers shouldn't surprise you a great deal. But they don't tell you the whole story. You have to also look at the standard deviation. We're at people who studied were more variable than people who didn't study. Excuse me? How's that a thing? Does that make any sense at all? Intuitively. In fact, wouldn't you think it would be the other way around, if anything? Or that they should be roughly equal? But I don't think there should be a whole lot of variance in people who study, and people who don't study are always better right here. It's weird, right? It's, it's counterintuitive. I follow cats on Twitter. He follows me. He's been profit for the last few years. He's retired. So you could conclude there's more variation with than studying, and in fact, you wouldn't be wrong in saying that the standard deviation is higher for people who study. But why is that? Now, the coefficient of variation is what we're going to look at here. The coefficient of variation is the, sta is the standard deviation divided by the mean. The standard deviation is affected by the mean. 
So if we, when we can standardize standard deviations, which is really a bad set of choice of words, but there's nothing I can do. Where we're going to standardize this is we're going to take the standard deviation. Okay, so the coefficient of variation is the standard deviation divided by the mean. And if we divide those, we get those two numbers. We get 0.152 and 0.146. They're virtually identical. So that's saying the only reason there's any difference in these standard deviations is because this mean is bigger than this one. The numbers don't know where they come from. So this is something I have literally seen coefficient variation used in a talk or paper once. Because again, it's something you do for yourself. That's all this exploratory data analysis stuff is. It's something you do for yourself to try to determine, get a feel for your data. So you're typically not reporting these numbers. Though I did see it a couple of years ago. This was two years ago? I was at a conference. And it's the one I'm going to be going to on April 1st to the 5th. Same conference. I was, it was in, oh geez, that year was in February for some reason. So I was gone for half a week, a little more than half a week in February. Um, no, it was in March. And because I had set up a study group in, in, in uh, Facebook for the class. And after I'd said no one had ever used, I'd never seen box plots in a talk or a paper, and I'd never seen coefficient of variation, there was one talk that had both of them. I was taking pictures. So I've seen it once. <laughs> Typically, it's so you can remind yourself, oh, everything's fine. Everything's fine. That's basically what the co coefficient of variation is for. So it's standard deviation divided by the mean. Okay. So this again tells us, yeah, there's variance, but really the, the, the difference in these numbers is because one mean is higher than the other. Okay, remember, we want to learn about populations, not samples. But we can't calculate things about populations. So we have to calculate things about samples. So we estimate population parameters, which are usually unknown numbers of the described population, from sample statistics, which are calculated numbers that describe a sample. A sample is a subset of the population. Right? Sample is a subset of the population. A population is all the cases of interest. Everything. So if, if on the quiz on Thursday, one of the items says population, don't say total number of people in Canada. I will, I will find you and I will yell at you if you're there. Instead, what I want, I will, I will yell at you. What you're trying to generalize to is a possibility, as a definition, but my favorite definition is so simple, it's all the cases of interest. And my favorite definition for this sample is a subset of the population. It's funny because I think almost everyone in here has taken some kind of methods class. And you see the word sample, and then you think, well, it has to be representative. And then if you see the word sample on a quiz, and you write, oh, you see sample, you write a uh, representative group from the population. No, not necessarily. It's not representative at all. This group in here is a sample of humans. 
It is not a representative sample of humans. There's way too many women here, and there's way too many white people here. But it is a sample of humans. It's not a representative one. Right? But it is a sample. Samples don't have to be representative. That's how they are usually. So we want unbiased estimators of parameters. That's our key thing. And that's why we do things like divide by degrees of freedom. Questions so far? Okay. Now, let's take a look at how we can transform data. And we do this kind of stuff a lot with our own data. I do it very rarely, but sometimes I know, for example, in Site 2606, what the mean for the first test should be. I, I know it. I taught the course 21 times. I know what the mean's supposed to be. Better yet, I know what the mean's supposed to be intro psych after test one. I've taught intro psych since 2009, but I know that the mean for test one is 60. It just is. So if you got above 60 on your first psych test, where you go? If you got 60, you got the average, don't worry about it. That's, by the way, usually people's first test in all of university. It's like, you know, three weeks into September, they write a, te a test intro site, they get 60, and they suddenly realize they aren't in high school anymore. Anyway. So sometimes what I'll do is I'll change the marks. It has to be pretty bad for me to change it. But let's say the mean one year is 50. That's on me. That's not on the students. That's on me. This whole this sample of 65 intro psych students, there's no way that they're 10 points worse than everyone else that I've ever taught. I should have to change these marks. One way I can change them is I can add a constant. So I can take each number and add a constant. So if the mean was 50, and I wanted the new mean to be 60, I can just add 10 to every score. The expected value, that's what this E means, the expected value of x plus k is the mean plus k. Okay. K is a constant, that's the math. So as you take a little bit of math, realize that you see k, k is a constant. x is a variable, x changes. K doesn't. K is always, in this case, we'll say 10. So we've added 10 to the scores. Now I have a mean of 60. That makes sense? Does that make sense? The variance of x plus k is still s squared sub x. It's still just the same variance. Because, now think about this. I'm a, I'm a distribution. See, this is my arms are here on a distribution. And I'm going to add school. Oh, did it change how spread out they are? No. The spread out of this stays the same. I just moved the thing over. All of this is moved everything over. Okay? If I just move numbers over by the same amount, they can't change how spread out they are. Right? Does that make sense? <coughs> Does that make sense? Yeah. 
So I got, well, I'll even draw it instead of me pretending to be a distribution, because that's also not even weird. So we'll draw it. So let's say that the, 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 the marks for that class look like this, which they wouldn't, but let's pretend. And the mean is 50. When I move the mean over, or sorry, move the distribution over, this score goes over this much. So let's say that's 10. So that's going to be 10, like this much, okay? I move all of these scores over by, the, by a constant, by the same amount. All that's going to do is that. That's 60. So the spread emptiness has to change. And all standard deviation and variance measures have spread out something. So it's not going to change. The mean changes on standard deviation. Slash variance. So the variance doesn't change. So like other than the example you gave, why would we use that? Uh, you would use it. Let's. I move it up. I'm sure I think it's an example that I have that I can't. I'm just trying to get like the point. Yeah, yeah, yeah. <laughs> there are times when you change your numbers because you're changing the scale. So if I was to change, I don't know, inches into centimeters into inches, which may be on the assignment, this is what I'm doing. I'm not adding in that case. When I'm changing centimeters into inches, I'm dividing by 2.54 or multiplying times 1 over 2. However, you ever listen to the radio and you hear the channel from the States and then where you watch the people from the States and they tell you what the temperature is in Fahrenheit in their evil Yankee imperialist degrees? Right? And they say it's 70. And you go, 70? What place it's that hot is Australia right now because it's burning. Um, so they say it's well, 32. Right? Because 32 is what normal people in the world zero degrees. Right? They call it 32 degrees. The way you do that conversion is you subtract 32 and multiply times 9 fifths. So you actually are subtracting, which is just the inverse of that. If you, oh sorry, 5 ninths. Uh, if you turn Celsius into Fahrenheit, you multiply times 9 fifths and add 32. So there's the adding. See, a lot of times when you're changing scales, you're adding a constant or multiplying times a constant. And that's all. I mean, while their degrees are crazy, right? I don't know. I don't know anybody else here. I think Fahrenheit's insane. And, and we were taught Fahrenheit in ancient Europe until I was in grade four. And then the government said, we're metric now. And they all went, oh, screwed, so I kind of really don't know any measurement system. But um, we were taught a very simple rule, which is double it and add 30. Celsius and fair. Um, that was fine, but it's kind of like the correct too, because it's not fits 32. While I think Fahrenheit's kind of crazy, it actually on the surface isn't any, it doesn't matter. They're just numbers. The numbers don't know where they come from, and one's a different scale. When you convert Canadian money into American money, it's a different scale. The money is worth the same amount of stuff. You just convert it into something else. When you, when you do things like um, 
like I said, for heights from centimeters to inches, you're, you're, you're um, <coughs> divided, and from inches to centimeters, you multiply. Yeah. So you do actually do this a lot. It's not something you're usually aware of. We do it a lot with there, with, 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 uh, in cases when we have violations of certain assumptions and statistics. We can fix them by, by changing the scale. So one of the things that I might do, though, I don't like adding a constant to a bunch of, of, of grades. Because it rewards people who did more poorly more than it rewards people who did well. So someone who got 90 on their test, now they get 100. Big deal. So they brought up by one ninth, right? But somebody who goes from 20 up to 30, their mark went up by 50%. I don't think that's fair. I'd like to reward people who did better even more. So to go from 50 to 60, instead of adding 10, I'm going to multiply times 1.2. Yes. I'm going to multiply times 1.2. That's going to give an average of 60. But the people who did well are going to go up. Their, their, their overall mark is going to go up a lot more. I like rewarding success. When I do that, things change a bit. The expected value of x times k is x bar times k. Right. 15 times 1.2 is 16. But this time now, this is going to change how spread out things are, because big numbers are going to be multiple, are going to be moved up more than small numbers. Right? So it is going to change the spread out of this. The nice thing is we can say exactly by how much. The variance of x times k is s squared sub x times k squared. So if the variance on our pretend test was 10 points, we've now, that means, so if the variance was, yeah, the variance was 10, I've multiplied times 1.2, 1.2 squared is 1.44. So now the new variance is 10, it's 14.4. I assume I did all the numbers. So s squared times k squared. So that means the standard deviation is s times k. So what I'm saying here is when you multiply times a constant, it changes the variance by the constant squared, and it changes the mean by the constant. Whereas when you add a constant, it, just cha it only changes the mean, not the not the right. Any questions at this point? Okay, we're going to stop now because I'm done. But also, I'd like to take a time to see if you have any other questions like on things um, about uh, the assignment, etc.
listening to the lecture um all of the audio is available of course on itunes or whatever podcatcher you're using just search for uh, dr dave broadbeck's psychology lectures in algoma university which is the most ungainly title ever uh these are released under a uh, um, creative commons copyright share like 3.0 canada uh you can't use these for commercial purposes um you feel free to share them uh and feel free to mash them up any way you want but if you do that that means i get to do the same thing with your stuff Sort of like the GNU license. Um, I hope you learned something. But if you didn't, I, unless you're one of my students, I really don't care. Um, the music, by the way, for each uh, song, for each uh, uh, episode, <laughs> lecture, uh, is uh, available. They're all podcasts, uh, like Podsafe Music. So if you want to uh, find out about the bands, there's links on my website at people.aoc.ca slash broadback. Uh, if those links don't work, just contact me, and I'll find uh, I'll find out. Um, often I put links uh, actually in the uh, if you want to call them show notes or blog posts. So uh, you know, buy these people's music. They're they're making the stuff available out there. Uh, thanks everybody. We'll see you next time. <laughs>